Thank you, Mr. Jim. Thank you, praise team, for leading us in a time of worship today. If you have your Bible, hope you brought that with you. Go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 91. Psalm 91 is where we're going to be today. As you're turning there, let me just ask you one simple question as we start our time together today, and that is this. Are you excited that we are no longer in the year 2020, but the year 2021. If you are, can you just raise your hand for a moment, right? I mean, can we just say a hearty amen to that? Those of you watching online, you can put one of those praise emojis up in the comment section. I I genuinely do like to read your comments each and every week. I'll be honest, I'll be honest. I'm really one of those guys that enjoys the new year. I think my wife said a few days ago that the new year is actually maybe her favorite holiday. And I guess I got my wife to thank for for the fact that I actually usually, at least, try to make goals uh, for myself each and every year as we start out the new year. I've been thinking about what those goals should be or ought to be, uh, try to be attainable goals, that is. But let me just kind of give you my list this year if, if you're interested in those sort of things. Number one, my list is to get in the gym more often. I'm probably some of other others of you are probably saying that. I know I may fool you in this suit, but honestly, I'm out of shape. And listen, part of the reason why we hired Hunter is actually for him to be my physical trainer. He may not know that yet, um, but that's only part of the reason, Hunter. And most of the reason because we thought you'd do a good job here. But but that's going to be my first goal is to get in the gym more. Maybe that's true for you. Secondly, my goal is is to read. And this next word is really important. Finish, read, and finish at least one book a month. I am one of those people that loves to start books and rarely finishes them, if I'm honest with you. So my goal this year is to read and complete at least one book a month. I know for some of you that sounds like not much at all, and for others of you that sounds like an impossible task. I am just kind of somewhere in between those things. My, my last goal, though, I think you really like this one. My last goal, I said the best for last, of course, um, But my last goal is to convert my beautiful wife, Victoria, uh, to eat meat again. Can we we just say amen to that goal? Listen, no doubt uh, this goal is going to be the hardest of the two goals that I mentioned, but I'm here to tell you with your help, we can do this. Uh, So men, go ahead and fire up those grills. Send those steaks to 1674 County Road 86. Uh, If she does not thank you for them, I certainly will. Now, now, listen, on, on a more serious note, On a more serious note, I think all of us can say that we are truly glad to see the year 2020 go. And if you're like me, you've been praying that this new year that we are now in, that it's going to bring us God's blessing. Uh, I've been praying that that it's going to bring us God's protection and, and God's deliverance from quite literally, right, the things that have plagued us this past year. Listen, if you prayed those prayers as I've prayed, the, prayed those prayers these past few days, i got really good news for you this morning because hidden within God's Word is one of the most marvelous chapters in all of the Bible. It's found in Psalm 91, and boy, oh boy, is this an amazing, amazing passage of Scripture. Uh, in, in fact, the great theologian, you may know who this is, Martin Luther, in one of his commentaries, he said this about this psalm. He said, this is the crown jewel of all the other 150 psalms in the Bible. And after I've read it and studied it and prepared for it this way, I've got to say I tend to agree with him because you're not going to find a more powerful psalm or chapter in the Bible that is uplifting as this one is. And if there was ever a chapter or a, a set of verses in the Bible that you ought to be praying over yourself and your family as we begin this new year, I believe it is this one. 
found in Psalm chapter 91. So with all of that in mind, what I want us to do today is three things. Number one, I want us to just indulge in this psalm a little bit. We're going to read it verse by verse, and along the way, what I want to do is just offer you my own uh, insights and my own sort of commentary about why this passage of Scripture is so beautiful. We're going to indulge in it. Secondly, I want to spend some time talking to the skeptic this morning, which I'm going to get more into in a moment. And then thirdly, I want us to draw some conclusions as to how we should connect this psalm in our lives in the new year that we are living in today. All right, so that's the general outline of what we're going to be doing today. Let's start filling in those blanks, okay? Let's, let's do that by reading this psalm beginning in verse 1. It says, The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say concerning the Lord, who is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. All right, there's a couple things I want to point out to you here real quick. Number one, notice, notice the images of closeness in this psalm with words like under, with words like shadow. That, that's depicting someone who is right underneath or right next to God as you'd have to be close to God to be under Him. Or if you were to be under someone's shadow, right, you would have to be right next to Him. Okay, so that's what I want you to notice firstly. Secondly, notice, notice this, the, the personal pronouns in verse 2. Again, the text says, my refuge, right? It says, my fortress. It says, my God. Question for you, have you ever thought about how audacious it is to refer to God in that type of way? For example, even though I'm good friends with, let's say, Sorry, Drew, I'm going to pick on you today. I'm good friends with Drew Ritchie, okay? I would never refer to Drew Ritchie as my Drew, right? I mean, that, that would just be kind of weird. Um, Christian would be like, yeah, Christian's like, that's really weird, actually, right? I would never do that, right? I would never do that, but, but get this, right? Well, I would never do that to someone like Drew. That is something that I would say about my own kids. That is something that I would say about my own wife, For example, I'd say, that's my Victoria, that's my Tanner, and hopefully on most days I think they would say the same about me. Uh, the, The point is this, the point is this, there is a level of intimacy being described between the psalmist, the writer of the psalm, and God in these first few verses. And if you read this chapter carefully, you'll actually discover that there is similar language being used in both verse 9 and verse 14 as well. The reason I point that out to you is because of all of these promises that we're going to read about here in the moment. It's all for those, listen to this, it's all for those who have an intimate and close relationship with God. It's not for the unbeliever. It's for the believer. It's for those who dwell in the presence of God, who who truly enjoy being with Him. And on the flip side, it's not true for those who just have a casual view of God or forsake Him altogether. So please keep that in mind. All right, let's keep going. Verse 3. He Himself will rescue you from the bird trap. That, That is someone who's honestly trying to, intentionally trying to hurt you. And from the destructive play, which as we know from COVID, just kind of seems more to strike at random. And so the point is that God is going to protect his, his children from those who intentionally try to harm them. And also from more random acts of uh, disasters or diseases like that of a plague. Uh, look, look at verse 4 now as it kind of builds off this idea. 
It says, he will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. Yo, I, I love that image of God because it equates him almost like that of a mama bird that is looking after her young. Uh, in fact, as I was, I was kind of just meditating and thinking about this, th- this verse, I guess the youth pastor is still in me, uh, but the youth pastor kind of got in me and started thinking about, like, what would you kind of equate that to? Well, it kind of reminded me, it's maybe sort of weird to some of you, but it kind of reminded me of how an adult penguin cares for its young. I know that's kind of maybe a strange analogy. I actually have a picture for you, but an adult penguin, right, as it, as it uh, is an adult, right, it hides its young or it hides its egg uh, underneath it, a flap of skin as it protects it, right, from the harsh conditions that are found in the North Pole or wherever penguins live. But isn't that kind of awesome that in a similar way, that's what God is promising to us here? You can put the picture of the penguin down because y'all are just looking at that. <laughs> but in a similar way, right, what I'm trying to show you that in a similar way, God keeps us hidden, right? He keeps us protected from the harsh elements, from all the harsh realities that this world brings from any sort of danger in a similar way. God is like that mama bird protecting her young, and we are that young, By the way, while we're on this, notice too that this image of God holding us under his wings is a feminine analogy of God. I point that out to you because the majority of the descriptions or the metaphors that we see in Scripture used to describe God, they're typically masculine, but there is a a certain tenderness about God that can only be best reflected in how a mother cares for her young, how she loves them and protects them and is devoted to them. And I love that the psalmist reminds us of that here in this verse. So because we're covered underneath the feathers of God, quite literally, and take refuge under His wings, look at verse 5 now. It goes on to say that you will not fear the terror of the night, the arrow that flies by day, the plague that stalks in darkness, or the pestilence that ravages at noon. Though a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, the pestilence will not reach you. You will only see it with your eyes and witness the punishment of the wicked. Church, imagine for a moment what this would be like. That's like saying that out of the entire population of New Albany, you are the only one that has been left unscathed and is standing because you are under the protection of God Himself. Or to say it like verse 9 does. Verse 9, because you have made the Lord my refuge the Most High, your dwelling place, no harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent. Because again, when you are under the shadow of the Almighty, He's going to protect you from those things. Verse 11, for he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. And they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent. It almost kind of gets comical here, right? Because in essence, what these two verses are saying is that God is going to send you an angels from, from, from keeping you from stubbing your toe. And that he's going to enable you to to walk on lions and snakes, all without the fear of them striking or trying to bite at you. That's that's like superhero status, right? That's superhero status. Look now at verse 14. Because in verse 14, though, the the narrator's going to switch. You're going to see a switch in this psalm. The Lord's going to start speaking instead of the psalmist. And he says this. He says, because he has his heart set on me, I will deliver him. 
I will protect him because he knows my name. Now, I want you to take note of that phrase, because he has his heart set on me. Because again, as I mentioned as we started this psalm, what this is telling us is that God realizes that this psalmist's devotion and love towards him, that it's not shallow, it's not superficial, not superficial, but instead it's real, it's deep, it's passion. The psalmist finds refuge in him, and so because of that, God concludes this psalm and goes on to say in verse 14 that when he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. Wow, what a fantastic song. I mean, that is just rich, right? I mean, I could spend just a whole sermon series, just one verse, and just love it, right? Hopefully you would love it too. And listen, part of me, part of me this morning just wants to say, all right, well, that's all I got. That's all we need, right? Let's just say amen. Let's be the first ones to be at El Agave so we can get that cheese dip, right? But listen, there is a part of me at the same time that realizes something in reading and studying this psalm. And that is that I realize that there is some of you here today or some of you watching online who are either A, confused by this psalm, either B, doubtful that this psalm is, is actually true, or see, maybe, maybe there's some of you here today or watching online who are actually just angry that this psalm even exists. Don't try to deny it. You, you know exactly what, you're, what I'm talking about and what I'm thinking because I've had these same thoughts to, uh, that you've had that, I, that I've had throughout this week. Because listen, it seems like what this psalm is saying is that if you trust in God, then nothing bad's going to happen to you. That your, that your life is just going to run smoothly, and that's if you trust in God. But that also would imply this, right? It would also imply that if your life is filled with hardships, if it is filled with difficulties and sufferings, then you must not be trusting God enough, right? Church, let's let the cat out of the bag for a moment and just acknowledge and recognize that that is confusing, because it seems to give us a mixed message about how we should view and perceive God. I mean, just think for a moment. How many times can we say that something bad happened to us, and as far as we knew, we were trusting God in that moment? For example, I've stubbed my toe a many of times waking up, going to the bathroom, whatever the case may be, and I don't think I was sitting, so where was my angel's? Right? For others of you, you've remained faithful to God. You've remained steadfast in your faith, yet you've gone through some tremendous amounts of sufferings this year due to COVID, due to a, a, a nationwide lockdown and shutdown, due to, due to some other health-related reason. So, so why didn't God protect you like this psalm said He would? And then there's the book of Job. Right? There's, there's, there's the book of Job. Because all the bad things that this psalmist promised wouldn't happen to the believer, happened to Job. Yet God himself said he was a man of perfect integrity. So why did Job experience such trouble and pain? And get this, when all the bad things happened to Job, Job's friends counsel him basically with the reasoning of this psalm. They basically say, listen, Job, if you were just trusting in God, then none of this would have happened, so you must not be trusting in God enough. But at the end of the book, God basically forsakes them and all of what his friends say. Furthermore, didn't Jesus promise believers that they would experience suffering? 
that they would experience pain. That's why he famously said in John 16.33 that, that in this world you will have tribulation. What he means by that is that you will stub your toe. You will get sick. You will experience suffering to some degree, which seems to go directly against what this psalm is teaching. Here's the real kicker. Here's the real kicker. Satan actually quotes this exact psalm when he is tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Do you remember that scene in in Matthew 4? Satan is is tempting Jesus to jump from the top of of a temple. And then Satan himself goes on to quote Psalm 91 when he says that the angels would protect him from the fall. And if they they didn't, then God wasn't going to keep his word and he wasn't someone that he could trust and rely upon. You see, Satan knows that if you take this psalm at face value, then you are probably going at some point going to be confused. At some point, you're going to be doubtful and downright angry with God when something bad happens to you. And I'll be honest, as cherished as this psalm is, some of you in this room probably have memorized this psalm. As cherished as it is, as cherished as it should be, there are also countless individuals that would cite this very psalm as the reason why they left the faith, because in their eyes, none of God's promises happened to them. So they walk away. So, so, so what, do we, what do we do with all of this? What do we do with that? I mean, how how can we, as believers, have the assurance of knowing that we will experience the promises found in this psalm while at the same time not letting it contradict our lives or letting it contradict other teachings that we know is also found in God's Word? Well, listen, that's a great question, pretty weighty question. I'm not going to say that I'm the expert on it. It's a question that I have been considering, contemplating, pondering on these past few days. But listen, as I have thought about it, prayed about it, studied it, and spent some time in the Word this week, I've come to the conclusion that we can still confidently trust what this psalm is saying. All these promises, we can actually find fulfillment of these promises in our lives in three main ways. I want to share those with you today. I hope you've brought your notes. Hope you bring out a pen or a piece of paper. Go ahead and write these down. The first thing that I believe how we can know that this psalm is true in our lives today is interesting enough through our pains. That's the first way that I believe that we can experience the fulfillment of Psalm 91 in our lives is through our pains. Listen, I know that may seem counterintuitive to you at first, but let me start by giving you some scriptures to back this claim up. And just kind of, by the way, I'm going to be supporting all of my points here with scriptures. Uh, I believe that you interpret scripture with other scriptures. That's what we're going to do with this psalm today. But the first scripture that I want to bring to your attention, it's found in John chapter 17 when Jesus says this in verse 3. He says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent Jesus Christ. You see, based on this passage, the essence of eternal life is knowing God. That is, that is the, the essence of eternal life. And get this, that means, listen to this, that means that any sort of harm that comes to you and increases your knowledge of and trust in God is not really harm, but help in the big picture. If you'll notice, the psalmist actually alludes to this idea, I believe, in verse 15. Look at what it says in Psalm 91, verse 15. It says, I, 
that being God, will be with him in trouble. Notice it does not say you will never be in trouble, just that God will be present in the trouble. See, this is our first clue in this psalm that godly people are sometimes going to experience trouble in this life and that the fulfillment and the promises in this psalm may not always be literal, at least not on this side of heaven, which we'll get to more in a moment. Nevertheless, though, the point is that even though we will experience pains in this life, if that pain brings us closer to God, then we should count that as joy because it's increasing our knowledge of God. It's increasing our dependence upon God, and that is better than simply avoiding the pain itself. In other words, rather than keeping us from the flame, Jesus walks with us in the flame, and the knowledge of Him that we develop in the flame is better and more life-giving than a mere avoidance of it. Let me just give you a perfect example of this found in Scripture. It's found in Luke chapter 21, uh, when Jesus is talking to his disciples. And listen to what he says to them, beginning in verse 16. Jesus says, You will even be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will kill some of you. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. Now listen to verse 18. But not a hair of your head will be lost. Do you see the stark contrast there in in that passage? Jesus says that, listen, they're going to kill some of you. You're going to be hated. Um, They're going to kill some of you. But listen, even if they do, not a single hair on your head will be lost. Here's a question. How can that be true? How, How can that be true, right? Because if you perish, then wouldn't the hairs on your head also perish as well? Well, look at what he says in the very next verse, verse 19. Jesus says, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. In other words, through your pain, through your endurance in the pain, you will actually come to know God more and receive eternal life. And because of that, even if you perish, not a single hair on your head will be lost because God will hold you in the palm of His hands. He will bring you safely into the kingdom of God and so you can trust in that truth. So again, may I remind you that even in our pains, we can experience the fulfillment of the promises of this psalm in our lives as God oftentimes uses genuinely bad things in our lives to shape us, to to mold us, to have a deeper knowledge and dependence upon Him. And then secondly, secondly, we can experience the fulfillment of this psalm in our lives through the resurrection. That's the second way I believe that we can experience this fulfillment of, of this psalm in our lives is through the resurrection. You see, as Christians, we recognize that this life is really actually a a prelude to the eternal life that we're going to one day experience, as I've used this verse before, but Revelation 21, it describes that day as a day where God's going to wipe away every tear from our eye. Death's going to be no more. Grief, crying, and pain, it's going to be no more because the previous things have passed away. Friends, we're going to a place where our worst pain will seem like a a brief birth pain as it's swallowed up in the joy of our new birth, which is found in Christ. What I want you to understand is that in this psalm, it's, it's ultimately fulfilled in the resurrection that we as Christians look forward to. It's going to be a place where there's no more stubbed toes. 
It's going to be a place where there's no more death by pestilences, which is what makes one feature of this psalm absolutely amazing. It's a depiction of God protecting us under his wings, like some kind of mother hen would protecting her flock. Listen, what, what that shows us, listen to this, what that shows us is how committed God is to protecting us from all harm. For we know that, that on the cross, God literally covered us. He literally protected us and shielded us so that the harmful elements that we had brought upon ourselves would not destroy us, but we would actually receive eternal life as a result. It, it reminds me of an article that I, that I read a while back um, that was about two firemen that were describing the wildfires out, out west uh, and trying to kind of put those out as they just really just took off um, the, several months ago. In the article, they, they said that, that you'd be amazed just by how, how wide and how vast um, the destruction was out there as literally everything was just burnt to a crisp in their sight. But then they went on to tell of a time where they were out surveying the damage. And they noticed as they were walking along, they noticed that on a stump looked like that of an outline of some type of animal. And so the curiosity got the better of them. They, they decided to, to walk over there and they see this stump and to their horror is a charred bird sitting completely upright as if nothing had ever happened. Well, they look at that and I'm like, well, that's pretty crazy, right? And then one of them pokes it and, of course, the bird falls over as it was dead. But to their amazement, to their amazement, underneath that bird was three living chicks. Isn't that crazy? In other words, the mother bird had protected her babies from the fire by taking the fire in their place. In a similar way, that is exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. He shielded us. He protected us. He covered us from the fiery flames of sin, of the fiery flames of death. And that guarantees us that he's working all things together for our good. And that ultimately our story is going to end in the glorious resurrection just as it did for Jesus himself. Church, Jesus' resurrection is the promise of what is to come for us. A resurrection in which every phrase, every promise of Psalm 91 will be literally fulfilled and true, and that promise is supposed to redefine how we view and see everything in this life. Listen, if you're taking notes and you're wanting to take notes, just jot this down. I, I, I like this statement. It says, Our belief in the resurrection doesn't remove our pain, but it should change how we go through our pain. Our belief in the resurrection, it does not guarantee that you're not going to go through pain. It doesn't remove the pain, but it should change everything about how you view and perceive life. It should change how you go through the pain because in the end, you know you win. In other words, through the resurrection, we know how the story ends and that should redefine, reevaluate how we see this life because through the resurrection, right, we see from the beginning that Satan and all his powers are, are dead, and that Jesus is alive. Through the resurrection, we see that Satan's attacks are harmless, and that through Christ, uh, we are more than conquerors. Through the resurrection, we see that whatever we go through in this life, nothing can separate us from God. And that means that even in our worst pains, even in our worst moments of life, we have a peace, we have a hope that, is surpassing, that surpasses all understanding. Because through the resurrection, we're promised eternal life where there's going to be no more suffering, 
No more pain as we see this being fulfilled in Psalm 91. So yes, while the promises of this psalm, they may seem unrealistic, they may seem unattainable after a year like we've experienced and as the world is still kind of upside down today, but remind yourself, as a believer, you can still experience these truths through one, your pains, through two, the resurrection, and lastly, I believe that you can experience the fulfillment of this psalm through moments of deliverance. I believe the last way that we can see this being fulfilled is through moments of deliverance. You see, while the ultimate fulfillment of this psalm, I believe, is experienced primarily in our pains and ultimately through the resurrection, I don't want us to overlook the fact that God sometimes gives us signs of his deliverance in our day-to-day lives as well. For example, in Psalm 27, King David, he, he prayed to God and he said this. He said, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. As in like present day, in Psalm 30, he goes on to say, he, he gives a kind of rhetorical question. basically said, can the dead praise God? And ultimately he's saying, they can't. I, I want to praise you now. I believe you're going to do a miracle now. Right? That's, what, that's what King David was believing. He didn't want to just believe that he could praise God in the sweet by and by, but that he could praise God in present day life as well. And we know that based on his life, God did just that. And as we look at our own lives, we know that we experience moments of deliverance too. The Apostle Paul said it like this. I like how he says this. He says, at my first defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. He he delivered me so that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Do you notice how Paul is using language very similar to that of Psalm 91? He's basically saying, listen, I'm confident that no matter what comes my way, the Lord's going to step in. He's going to intervene. He's going to rescue me. He's going to give me the strength that I need to overcome any roadblock or obstacle. And time and time again, we see God do just that as we look at the life of Paul in the Scriptures. Listen, I want you to notice something else about this passage in 2 Timothy. Uh, Look at what what he says in the very next verse as Paul concludes uh, this book up and his teachings here. He says this. He says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Do do you see what Paul's getting at here? In other words, though he was confident that God was his rescuer, though he was confident that God was his deliverer and that he would do that and that he would step in, he at the same time was also confident that there was going to come a day where God would not step in, where God would not intervene and that his life, again, on this side of heaven, would end. Paul had just kind of had a piece about that. And really, as we look at his life and ministry, that's what made Paul so dangerous. Nothing really scared Paul anymore because he realized that he won either way. Uh, he believed that, that God would protect him and deliver him in times of trouble. But listen, even if he didn't, when Paul died. Paul knew that he was still going to be delivered by God, that he was going to be in the presence of, of God himself in heaven. So in a sense, that made Paul feel invisible. In a sense, that kind of made him feel immortal. And I pray that as believers, we would look at our lives in that same way. Listen, I, I want to close out our time today by, by telling you about a book that I, that I read uh, in preparation for this sermon. It's called The Shadow of the Almighty. Uh, and, and by the way, that's based on this psalm, right? As Shadow of the Almighty is in verse 1. What it is, though, what it is, this book, 
Uh, it, is, it is the journals of the late Jim Elliott. I talked about Jim Elliott several months back. Jim Elliott was, was a missionary that was slain on the beaches of, of Ecuador, I believe in the 1950s. And, and this book was later published by uh, his wife Elizabeth as she compiled all of his journals. That title, though, it's a bit ironic, isn't it? It's a bit ironic when you think about the fact that her husband, Jim, was, was literally pierced through the heart with a spear and that he was killed, which is something Psalm 91 promised wouldn't happen. Nonetheless, though, she decides to call her book The Shadow of the Almighty because she was utterly convinced that the refuge of the people of God is not a refuge from suffering and death, but a refuge through it and a refuge from final and ultimate defeat. In his book, she quotes one of Jim Elliott's favorite sayings that she kept finding over and over again in his journals. And I want you to listen very closely uh, to what he says here. He says, I am immortal until my work on earth is done. I I am immortal until my work on this earth is done. I I want you just to take a moment and think about what that means. Because like Paul... Jim Elliott knew that God was going to watch over him, that God was going to protect him until it was his time to go to his heavenly home and to be with his Father in heaven forevermore. And what I want you to understand this morning is that the same can be said about your life as well. Listen, yes, there are going to be painful chapters in your life. There just are. It's going to cause you to be banged up and bruised. And at some point, it's going to cause you to to lose your life on this earth as you know it today. But if you hold on, if you hold on, you'll see that God is working it all together for his good, just like he said he would in his word. And like Paul, like Jim Elliott, that should give us a supernatural confidence, knowing that God is working in us, that he is working through us, and that no matter what may come our way, he will never leave our side. Church, I don't know what this new year is going to bring to us. I don't know. Things this year, they may get better. Or things may th- this year, they may, they may even get worse. We thought last year was bad, this year maybe ten times worse. I don't know. What I do know, what I do know is that whatever happens to me, whatever happens to you, whatever happens to our church family, God is promising to be with you. God is promising to protect you under his wings just like a mother hen would protect her young. Listen, that's not to say that things won't be difficult, that things won't be painful, because in all likelihood they're going to be to some degree. They just are. But regardless of what you go through this year, remind yourself that God is working in your storm. Regardless of what you go through this year, remind yourself that through Jesus... He has shielded you and protected you from your sins and remind yourself that no matter what happens in this life, you will be under the shadow of the Almighty if you are a believer. He promises you to bring you safely home into His arms, whatever may come your way. Church, may we rest in that truth. May we rest in that reality, knowing that God will never leave our side, as Psalm 91 declares. Let's pray.